Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars dig into a seasonally relevant scripture text and explore uh, possibilities that we could learn from it and even pitch some sermon ideas uh, for you to beg, borrow, and steal uh, and take wherever you want to go with um, them. So yeah, we hope that this will be uh, fun for you and educational and enlightening and edifying all at once and hopefully enjoyable most of all. So uh, yeah, I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And my special guest this week is Phil Tagg. Phil is the lead pastor at Ransom Church uh, in South Dakota, but uh, it has sites all over South Dakota and even some in some other states around there. Uh, Ransom just has really exploded and grown, and his heart is so much focused on sort of apostolic leadership of training and sending out pastors and lay people um, to do the ministry of the church early on. He just was like, I don't want to be a, just a pastor of a big church. I want to um, be a part of a movement and help send people so that they can be pastors and leaders. So he has a real heart for that. And I actually just met him uh, this spring at a, a board meeting for the Wesley Seminary. And uh, we just struck up a conversation and had some mutual friends and Next thing you know, by the end of the conversation, I was like, "Hey, man, you want to come on pod on a on my podcast and do freshes?" Like, yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, so we set that up and uh, and finally got a chance to record that now um, to drop. So this is uh, the text for this week is for um, let me get it out here. Sorry, it's for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. So that's the seventh uh, of uh, July. So this is dropping a week before that, and it's Luke chapter ten. Uh, verses 1 through 11 and 16 through 20. We're skipping a little bit in the middle. So Luke 10, verses 1 through 11 and verses 16 through 20 with my guest, Phil Tagg. Uh, We hope you enjoy the show. Well, cool. Let's, uh, let's jump right in. Yeah, so we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, and then skip a little bit, although we'll check it out if we want, and then down to 16 through 20. So 1 through 11, and 16 through 20. Where do you say stop? 1 through 12? Yeah, we'll go 1 through 11, and then 16 through 20. Okay. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. 
But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. Then to verse 16. Then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Father, we give you thanks for this day, which you have made. We give you thanks for this hour that we have set aside, having been sent and gathered to this time and place, both Phil and I, to study the Word of God, written and handed on to us. And for all those listening in, we give thanks that they have chosen to give a little of their time to studying the Word with us. Father, we thank you for this moment in which you are present everywhere and always, and therefore here and now. We ask that you would grant us the grace to be aware of and attuned to your presence with us, and thereby granting us also the grace to, uh, to study well, to see what you wish us to see, to hear what you wish us to hear so that we may all, as we speak and listen, be equipped and edified for the service and joy of your divine majesty. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thanks again for uh, reading, Phil. I thought of you when I was looking at a couple passages that were coming up. When I saw this one, I was like, that's got an apostolic vibe. It might fit uh, <laughs> Phil's spirit, but, uh, you know, no pressure. <laughs> what jumps out at you? I mean, just shooting in the dark here, if you, opening up this text, maybe preaching it in the future. Yeah. What, what, what grabs your art? Yeah, obviously not being the first time I've, I've read this passage, but something that jumps out at me, two things that jump out at me, really. Uh, one of them is just the, the great lengths that, that Jesus goes to push authority out. Uh, to to uh, you know whether it's it's here in in uh, Luke ten or or over you know you read in Mark six it, it says Jesus preached healed and delivered I mean he's like doing these things uh, and then by Mark chapter six it says now go preach and they preached and they healed and they del- he's constantly pushing the authority hmm. not to do just what he did but to do greater things than he did out to lay people it's it's the it's the priesthood of believers in action uh, anytime Jesus talks about the disciples, it's he's, and he equipped them, then he sent them out, you know, and he, and he, um, so that, that immediately jumps out to, uh, at me. And then the second one, the, the second thing that really always jumps out at me in this passage is the, the picture of the person of peace, how profound it is when a, a healthy discipleship relationship is going to be happening or a, or a healthy discipleship ministry is going to be happening uh, or a church plan is going to be happening to find that person of peace. To, to find a, 
a doorway into the community, if you will, a, a doorway into the, uh, the the culture. Those are those are two things that just immediately pop out at me. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, I haven't even. Is that a? I'm not familiar with that that language. Is that used uh, in contemporary settings sometimes to talk about as kind of a kind of a way of naming those those points of contact? Or is that just the thought you were thinking of right now? If you were in any contemporary circles having the discipleship conversation, the idea of a person of peace comes into the picture somewhere. Ah. The, the idea of the, just the, it, when you go into an area, is there somebody who, uh, I mean, like he points out in um, verse five, uh, when, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, Mm-hmm. Stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. And then it's like, just get out of there. If, if that's a, get out of there. And so that language is used a lot uh, in the in the church planning world, in particular. Just as we look for those places, not only did I did my heart break for the city, not only you know do I feel called there, but did I, you know, I, I can tell story after story of people who went into a community and they met someone and they're like, that was my person of peace. Like right off the bat the doorway just opened and I went, Oh my goodness, Lord, you're, you're going before us. You're laying the foundation. Yeah, no, I, I, I've heard, I mean, that's definitely the language I'm familiar with. I was part of a church plant in high school when I was a kid actually. And, and then again in college and, and that was without a doubt what, you know, was essential, you know, was those, the receptivity, you know, to the gospel and, uh, I just hadn't bumped into the, the, the appropriation of that language. It's beautiful. It's so striking. I, I'm, maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but the, the, there's a contrast with Matthew. I have Matthew and Luke both opened here. Matthew uses this language, if the house is worthy, mm. um, then your peace will remain on it. And if not, it won't. I, just, I like that nice little contrast uh, with Luke's language of a son of peace, right? Yeah. Quios renes, a son of peace, which is even... I don't know. It's kind of fun. They're, they're both great images, different images. I love it. You, yeah. It's a, it's Matthew 10 where he has that long and, and Matthew's as all, as often Matthew collects teachings together in, in ways that Luke spreads them out, but yeah, some worthy person there. And, and you know, it says if the home is deserving, you know, yeah, which is a cool picture, but that's more Matthew too, right? Matthew would talk that way. Luke's like, they're not deserving, but they're ready. They're peaceful, right? Matthew's a nice guy. He's like, well, I mean, if they, you know, if they're deserving. Uh, <laughs> but what we're talking about is not only does it say, you know, it's, it's really extreme in that look for that person. If they don't, if they're not there, like walk away. But it, it also, uh, there's like a, a dependency on it. He says, don't bring anything with you. Like, it's really, really important uh, that you can depend on them. Like they, you're right off the bat. You're finding out I can lean on this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it says, don't, don't pack any, you know, uh, don't pack any gold. Don't bring anything with you. Lean on that, lean on that first person you meet. And I did, it's just always been striking to me uh, because typically when we plant churches, we do the, it was like we were so much of money and then we right. lose people from where we were to support where we're going. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should do that. But there, there's some ownership uh, within that, that community that you're going into when you find that person that's like, I've been waiting for this. I'm in like, help, you know, that is just so foundational, so pivotal because it's somebody rooted in that community um, that is not only given voice to it, but, but actually supporting you right off the bat. Yeah. And you're right. We're, I mean, we're obliged to, 
to be supportive of those that we're sending out. But, but it is worth asking the tough question. This text at least is stirring it in me to, to inquire, like, are there things we do in the way that we prepare ministers, especially apostolic ones, that can actually get in the way, right? And actually even blind the judgment to the, the son of peace, the house of peace, the person of peace. If you're not in any way dependent on the hospitality of a community, you know, <laughs> then you're, you know, setting yourself up to always be the kind of patronizing minister who's from the outside, right? Rather than being actually a part of the community, and the commu- you need the community as much as they need you for your message, right? That thought just popped in my head that there, there are maybe ways in which we actually unintentionally burden, you know, I mean, it, it, it didn't hit me till what you just said right there, just to make it an exegetical point, is that Jesus is not simply saying, don't take anything with you just because I want you to be poor for poor's sake, right? It's, I want you to be in need of the hospitality, Right. I want you to trust them because that's how you're going to know who's ready to receive, right? If they don't receive you, they're not going to receive your word. Right. If they receive you, they will receive your word. That's, that's, that's going to be your test. So it's not, again, not poverty for its own sake, but leading into the hospitality of, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. In fact, in, in the Matthew passage in the NIV, he says, for the worker is worth his keep. <laughs> yeah. Where's that at? What verse was that? Labor, yeah, 10. Uh, and in, in the NLT, it says, because those who work deserve to be fed. So there's just, yeah. like, there's this picture of. Interesting. Yeah, it's wages in Luke and it's food and trophos in Matthew. Yeah. Misto in Luke. Yeah. I love those subtle little differences. <laughs> Super interesting. Super interesting. And interesting how Luke and Matthew, I mean, same story. They just, they purposely chose. Yeah. Communicate something a little different. Yeah. Yeah, laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. I like that one. You know, don't jump around, you know, as long as you're welcome. Stay there. Yeah, there's something to be said for that. What's, uh, what's that making you think of when you say that? <laughs> um, how often I think we try to force the hand of God instead <laughs> of rely on it. I mean, I just... I don't know. I just, uh, you know, and, and it's directly, it's directly attached to the sending. Like, I mean, Christ, if anybody modeled what it meant to rely on, you know, to, to, to leave the comfort of where he was and rely on others. I mean, you know, he, uh, he, he entered the womb, you know, yeah. I mean, like he, he nursed at Mary's breast. He, he, you want to talk about somebody who is like, I'm, I'm coming to humanity and I mean, you're going to, accept, you know, and he, and he says, to, you know, many are going to reject you, but to those who accept you, that's where you spend your time. Uh, it, it reminds me of the old, um, <laughs> the old phrase, we're here to catch fish and feed sheep, not chase goats. You know, like <laughs> a really cheesy old saying, but, but really, I, I have found myself in my ministry a lot of times. Like I went to uh, my first pastor was in North Carolina, and uh, I rem- I remember distinctly just chasing this guy. I thought, man, this guy could be this leader. This mm. leader. And meanwhile, there's a kid. He was a senior. He had all this potential, uh, and he just you know back and forth and back and forth. And then there's yeah. this freshman, 
and he's growing and he's, and I kind of noticed, but I didn't notice. And all of a sudden I look over and this guy's this incredible leader and he's leading people to Christ and he's doing all this stuff. And he was always really accepting. He always wanted to spend time with me. He always wanted, and I was too busy because I was like with this other guy a lot trying to really catch that guy I want, you know? And mm. I looked over and I realized, and I remember distinctly the Holy Spirit whispering to me, isn't it amazing? Imagine what could happen if you paid attention. Wow. <laughs> that was, I mean, that was the, it was like an eye opener to me. Hey, there are going to be people who are resistant and there are going to be people who are open. Find the people who are open and bring the gospel there. Don't fight to prove your point. Mm. Bring me to people who are hungry, you know, bring me to people who are open. Yeah. And, and I, I just, you, you got a passage just like that embedded in the call to discipleship. So it's just striking to me. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, in, in one way, like, when I read this text, like at first glance, it's like a bunch of, there's, there's some burdens he's laying on them, right? A burden for the lost, a, the burden of authority, um, of the burden of poverty and mendicacy in the way that medievals talk about it. Like the call to poverty for the mendicant orders, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, that wasn't meant, Hey, let's go off and live in the country and be poor. It's, we're going to rely on the, the benefits of others. We're going to be beggars. Right. And, and like the mendicacy that he puts upon them, and these are burdens, but then as I start to, and even like rules, you can't go from house to house. Right. But as you talk about them, as you're talking about them with me, it's like, there's a, there's so much sort of release of burden that he's also giving off of them kind of basically saying that this is my work that you're entering into, you know, go where, the son of peace is already receiving you. Don't stay past your welcome. Don't try to do something. Uh, don't do less than I'm expecting from you, but also don't do more than I'm expecting you. Do exactly this and you'll you'll be fruitful, you know? And I, and I think the greatest example of that uh, is, you know, he, yeah, he does place all these burdens on us of, here's how I want you to minister and here's what you're responsible for. But at the end of it, he's very clear what we're not responsible for, uh, uh, he says in um, uh, verse 16, uh, anyone who accepts your message is accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. He never gives us the burden of someone. Right. He, ne- he never, nowhere in scripture does he give us the burden of their salvation. In fact, he yeah. says, you're responsible to share. You're responsible to do your part. And you, if you don't share, their blood's on your hands. But, you know, if you do share, like you're, you're, you're okay because you did what you were called to do, but he never places. And it's amazing to me how often in ministry, particularly in church planting and discipleship, we play, we, we relieve ourselves of the burdens that he places on us. And we place our, the burden on ourselves of something he never gave us. We get so caught up with the burden of, I gotta save people that will <laughs> ignore his other instructions in order to do everything to save the one versus doing what he said. We got to go in. We got to find that person of peace. We got to establish ourselves. We got to build these relationships. We're responsible for that. We're responsible to take those steps. Uh, we're responsible to trust you uh, and we're responsible to present your truth and whoever accepts, accepts whoever doesn't, doesn't, but that that's not your burden to carry. You're not the Christ. Yeah. That's such a releasing reading of 16. That It's so easy. Like I can, I've heard that statement before and it can be mistaken as a kind of uh, a kind of misplaced zeal, right? They're rejecting the Lord, right, and think that I'm defending His honor, 
right? Um, when in the context of the whole passage, is why it's so important to read in context, right? It's so clearly the point is in the other direction. They're, they're not rejecting you, man. Don't take it personal. <laughs> they're just rejecting me, you know? Um, so just move on. Shake the dust off your feet, as the expression earlier says, whatever that means. I know I've read things about it. That's somehow right. symbolic to not take anything with you. I don't have anything of yours. I, I haven't even kept any of your dust. It's all here, you know? Um, yeah. Wow. That's super powerful. <laughs> that picture of dust off your feet reminds me of, uh, uh, we, you know, we do missions work in, in Juarez, uh, Mexico, and, and we've been in line to cross the border to come back in the United States. And we've been put to back of the line because we had too much dust on our bumper. Huh? We had to like wipe it off because they don't want any of it. That, it's that same picture. We don't that, want it. It's that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so crazy, but yeah. Uh, no, it's just a, such a, for me in discipleship, probably the most releasing picture, um, is, the, the most weighty picture is that he has chosen us to do the work, but the most releasing picture is that we, he has released us from the burden of the result. Yeah. 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 We are responsible for the work. We are not responsible for the result. Uh, so for every pastor, you know, that, that hears, uh, or every, every, uh, church leader that, that compares himself to the guy down the street whose church is bigger or the ministry, Jesus is just, you know, that's never what he intended. You be faithful in the work I've given you. And I've given you a lot of responsibility, but you are not responsible for the Holy Spirit's work. You can, yeah. you can, uh, it's, it's a pretty freeing passage. Yeah, I, I'm hearing that in a way that I don't know if I ever have before. I'm thankful for this conversation. It's bringing for me. Well, let's take a let's take a short break and come back and continue on digging into the rest of this passage. And we're back. Yeah, we've been we kind of got up through about 16. There might be some things we might want to backtrack to, but. Let's take a moment and just look at this, the rest of this passage, this 17 through 20, that kind of does this flash forward and we get their kind of return, kind of reporting. And then this interesting little dialogue um, that kind of fits, but also maybe introduces some new themes. So um, I'll just read it for us just to get us back in. So um, the 70 or 72, there's a text question there, but 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> I think the way our conversation went earlier, I think I'm, I, I see the connection of this passage more strongly than before, right? This kind of, okay, yeah, it's great you have that authority, right? But, you know, what you need to be rejoicing about is your names are written in heaven, right? Like that, the result for you is that you've received the gospel. Do you know what I mean? Be careful that you're coming back counting <laughs> your achievements. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if that's where he's going with that, but. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, the disciples have a notorious pattern, don't they? <laughs> uh, immediately after, after he drops a truth bomb on them, uh, they 
know, like an adventure in between the point. Like, you know, he, he's like, hey, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And like, so which one of us is the greatest again? You know, like, <laughs> that's kind of their pattern. And so here he goes on and he's like, hey, you're not be, – be careful where you find your authority and responsibility and where you don't. And then, and then they come back and they're like, it was great. They obeyed us. Like, they totally missed it. No, no, that was never the point. That was never, you know, the demons obeyed us. Well, you're, you're rejoicing in your power. Mm-hmm. Don't rejoice in your power. Rejoice in your position in the kingdom. You know, your names are registered in heaven. That's why you do any of this. Don't rejoice in your power. But, but you know, we have, we're just obsessed with power and we're obsessed. We're sure. obsessed. Well, I think, I think it's striking that he, he kind of, he finds a way to kind of affirm it before yep. bringing in that, that tough critique. Right. Cause he's like, yeah, I, I saw Satan fall. Like we're making progress. This is exciting. I, I see why you're excited. Good stuff. I've given you this authority. Nothing's going to hurt you. Yeah. I, this, it, it is happening more and even more than you realize. This is not just beating that. This or, I mean, in a way, uh, verse 18 suddenly kind of hits me. He's kind of like, yeah, yeah. You, you've racked up a couple demons. Um, right. I saw Satan falling from heaven. Right? Like I'm working on a whole other level. In fact, I pushed him. Like I pushed him. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's kind of how the feel it's got. But it's kind of helpful even to even say, like even when we use the supernatural language of demons and Satan, it's, it's kind of helpful to think like, yeah, our battle's not with Satan. We're just battling demons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Jesus is the one who takes out the boss, right? And we're we're soldiers in this army and we have a role to play. But without his authority, without the power he grants, it will bear no fruit. And even if it bear, even if it doesn't bear much or any fruit at all, we can. What we're, our attention should be on is not counting fruit, but on, mm-hmm. yeah, like you like you said it right. Where we are, who, whose we are, the, our status in the kingdom of God. That's what matters, right? Yeah. Do you think? I mean, he's not telling them to not do these things. He's saying right. you can do these things. You should do these things. Do you, do you think there's? Uh, a little bit of a flavor of um, do the right, these are the right things, do the right things, just do them for the right reason. Yeah. I think there could be some of that flavor in there. I mean, I certainly know that like do these things, but don't rejoice because of this rejoice because your names are in heaven. Like, yeah, it's very clear. He's not saying don't do, don't continue this work. I mean, that this was their report of their faithful work. Um, But at least it's a direct, even if I, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it could be motivation. For me, the word that came to mind, it's a word you used earlier in your story with the, um, when you're a youth pastor, the attention. He's redirecting their attention, right? What are you paying attention to? And something I've been being taught recently is this principle that energy follows attention, right? What you place your attention on is where your energy tends to be directed, right? And there are things that we pay attention to that, that use up our energy and there's things we pay attention to that um, enhance our energy. Right. And so it's like, if you're going to put your attention on the powerful signs, right. Um, Well, for starters, I mean, they're going to run out of juice. They, they can't do this. They need to rely on him. We know that's for sure. Also, he knows the, there's going to be days when the miracles are going to dry up and it's going to be suffering time. Right. (laughs) And so if your eye is on the miracles, then your faith's going to be shaken on 
when the miracles recede and the the suffering and the humiliation rather than the exaltation is what's in the foreground, which is is which is inevitable and is to come for them and for him even sooner. I know that's yeah. just a thought, just to say, yeah, but where are you putting your attention? And it almost is, I almost get the vibe. It's like if you keep your attention in the right place, you know, the, the power will come when it comes. You know, like Which direction are you facing? Mm-hmm. You know, what what are you looking at? Because you know, he, there's this picture of like, okay, these things are happening on, on this level here. Don't look down, look up. Like, yeah. don't, don't look down to the fact that the, the demons submit to you. Oh, that's good. In the book, you submit to me. Like, just yeah. as you do these things, that's good. Focus heavenward. Don't look down because otherwise you're going to think you're greater than you are. Keep your f- focus on me. You do all of this for me. I do the ultimate work. So, you know, it's, it's like that attention thing. Like, where's your attention at as you do these God things? Where, where, where's your attention at? I like that up-down thing because that fits the language, right? They're saying the demons are subject to us. That has that downward. Whereas in your name, so they, they're giving a little shout out there. But then he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Like Jesus is looking up. He's, he's got his eye on the big picture. Mm-hmm. He's waging that battle, right? So I like that. And then, and then you get the language of heaven again at the end, right? Written in heaven, right? Where your names are. Um, I like that, what that focus, and that actually corresponds to the, like the two kids you were talking about, right? The, the focusing on this one's not working. Why can't I get, why can't I fix him? Right. And that's the thing is so many of us go into ministry because we like fixing problems and fixing people instead of shepherding people who are being transformed by God, not us. And when you when you put your when you put your eyes up and pay attention to what God is doing, it's like, well, here's where the, here's where the here's where the action is. How can I support it? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, Satan was one who was trying to make himself like God. I wonder if when he says, "I saw Satan fall from heaven," if that huh. is that he's he was in heaven. He's looking down at Satan falling. He's not looking up, going ah. Oh, he's looking down, going there he goes because. He took his focus off of me and tried to put himself above me, and he tried to put everything under him. I saw him fall from heaven. I'm the one in heaven. I saw him fall from there. And, hey, so keep your focus right, too, lest you fall. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, definitely the, the notion of the pride thing and the fall, the pride goeth before the fall, seems so strong there. Yeah, out of the sky is an, is an alternative translation. Um, yeah, I- course in the first century they picture satan kind of in the sky right but the implication then is the sky i mean i'd be being that picture of you know god's presence like fall out of the sky the implication is that christ is there yeah like he's the one there seeing satan fall out of that i love it i love it yeah he's i mean satan is an example oh man had the authority that god had given him to do something (laughs) celebrated in the submission of others to him. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Finding the glory in the submission of demons. Oh man. Whoa. Verse 17 becomes really scary. He's seeing the original sin in them. Mm-hmm. Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Isn't that exactly what Satan sin is? They, they, they didn't say they're subject to you. Yeah. They said they're subject to us. Yeah. In your name, but it's kind of like, um, Saul, when Saul was like, well, I mean, I know what the Lord said, but yeah, we kept some of the plunder. I mean, we're going to give it to God, but we, we kept some. Right. God didn't see what we saw. You know, like, 
And, and Samuel's going, no, man, you, you don't even understand. You took your eyes off the prize. You took your eyes off the prize. Um, you know, I, I preached on the, the Saul versus David and that's uh. a dynamic. Both men crossed the line, but Saul moved the line. Uh. <laughs> I think that understanding the difference between those two repentance is when you cross the line and go, Oh, who yeah. I gotta, I'm, I'm so sorry. God, uh, you know, Saul tried to move the line. Well, I mean, and that's what Satan was doing from the beginning. They got to really say, and I think when we forget what's above us and what's below us and what, how it's supposed to all work, when we lose our position, we try to elevate ourselves that we get ourselves in trouble. Yeah. Oh man, that's really good. Yeah. Even the demons are subject to us. In your name. Yeah, so he's nipping he's nipping this in the bud right away, right? He's he's and they may not even be realizing what they're saying, you know, like it might just be excitement, right? It says they rejoiced, returned with joy, right? Again, I think the 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 temptation of glory in ministry is is a subtle one. It starts sometimes in a good place, right? but he's seeing it come in subtly and he's calling it out. Although again, subtly he affirms at first, but then and obviously, says, Hey, keep, keep your attention in the right place. Obviously you apply that to church planting, right? Um, we, we tend to go into, you know, like thinking we're bringing, we're bringing um, Jesus where he's never been before. Yeah. 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 <laughs> where God's never been. We're going to the darkest place, you know, to bring the gospel. But you look at uh, chapter 10, verse one it says the Lord chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the places he planned to visit. Yes. It's this picture of like, keep in mind is ultimately about me. Like I'm sending you out first to lay the foundation, but it's ultimately about me. Um, and, and man, you see this, that pride of by the, by verse 17, they're going, man, the demons submit to us. <laughs> and I, you know, that's the temptation in pastoral ministry. It's a temptation in church planting. You know, I, I even see it. So we have people come and go from our church all the time. They're always really, really apologetic. Well, we don't know if this is the right fit for us. We just, ah. Yeah. And I've had conversations with people a lot of times. I said, listen, I don't know what you've had, what exp- your experience has been, but pastors have a really bad habit of when people come to our ministry, they're God's people. But if they try to go somewhere else, that church is stealing our people. Right. You take a moment to tell them that's not ours. We were just there to serve in that season. Um, and I see that all the time in ministry. It's like the territorialism and the, all of that. Yeah. That only happens when we take an ownership that's not rightfully ours. Yeah, that's, oh man. And that's, that's so key in this. Uh, it, it fits that kind of more kind of apostolic sort of thinking where we're being sent out into this is God's people. This is Israel. And although they're Galileans, right? This is just to zoom out a little bit. Just last week, we were studying the end of chapter nine, when kind of the beginning of the book of Luke kind of wraps up and his Galilean ministry is kind of wrapping up. And this comes back to this attention language and keep it what you mentioned earlier about keeping focus on what matters and them sending him, them ahead of himself. And it says that he set his sights on, he set his face on Jerusalem in 951, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it, there's even a story of him sending some people into some Samaritan villages and coming back saying, hey, they weren't receptive. 
do you want us to call down fire on them <laughs> again? Right. Like same thing. Right. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't worry. You know, if they're not, if they're not, if they're not against us, they're for us. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, we do this all the time. My favorite example of that is Peter, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. Right? Like this incredible thing is happening. Everybody's glowing. And, and, he, and Peter says, boy, it's a good thing we're here. Yeah, right, right. Real deep insight. Yeah. <laughs> we don't pretend, man, it's a good thing that the three of us are here. Us yeah. It is good that we are here. <laughs> and God and God says, God basically tells him to shut up. He's like, you know, he says, listen, this is my son. Listen to it. Like just, yeah, yeah. you know, just, <laughs> but, but that's just, that's our MO. We just, God gives us responsibility and authority, but he always says, you know, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, but remember, it's my kingdom. Right, right. I mean, somehow we equate, we got the keys, must be our kingdom. And we always take a, a little higher step into authority than we should. Yeah, and you have, then that, so then that, that helps it, you see it. So it's like you can sort of think of this as this is God's kingdom. And now we're moving into Samaria on the way to Jerusalem. We're into the more, debated questionable parts of Israel, the parts that Galilee and Judea didn't think were as legit. So they're outsiders and he's sending them. I love that image of sending them out ahead as if, and even this language of the son of peace implying as if my spirit is already working ahead, preparing. And then you're coming in to kind of bring the word along with that spirit, right? Bring my name. Right. But then I'm going to arrive, right? But it's not like I'm not already working out ahead of you, right? right. It's, it's this staged battle. I they're going two by two, 72, into all these towns. And I didn't even see that when you read earlier. You know how it is. You're not paying attention. You miss a line. But right. the specific line, into every town and place where he himself was going to come, right? So it's very clear that all of these places is all about preparing, you know, just as he says, that he's going to prepare a place for us, you know, um, it, there's also this reverse sense in which we prepare a place for him. Right. We, which I suppose makes us all John the Baptist. Yeah. Right. That's perfect. I mean, we're just like, and, and John the Baptist carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. That sounds pretty John the Baptist, right? <laughs> eat some locusts and wild honey. Uh, yeah. John the Baptist, you know, at the, at the pinnacle of his ministry is known for, the, you know, I'm not the, I know who I am. I'm not the, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the, I'm the best man. The mm-hmm. best want the place. That, like that was a pinnacle of his ministry at his lowest point in jail. Was, are, are you the Christ? Are you, yeah, the, right. you know, and, and, but I, but I think that that picture. Even then his attention was right. right. So, it's about, still about Jesus. Right. Um, but he was like the pinnacle of, I must decrease. So that he can increase. It would be silly. It's it's crazy to think that the the best man would take the place of the the groom. Like that's crazy. I I don't want to do that. If I do my job well, I disappear and he's made it. I go first. I announce his coming and then I disappear and everybody's like, ta da! There's there's the groom. That's how it's supposed to work. And, and interestingly, groomsmen walk in first, right? Like you said, right? They, so you're you're getting things ready, right? Um, but you're not the center of attention. And, yeah. and what I tell groomsmen, you know, that I say I say to them a lot of times, you're dressed like the groom, but make no mistake, you're not the groom. <laughs> and this whole thing's not about any of you. It's actually about 
the bride. And so if you want to do your job well, walk in first, stand in your place and look at the bride. That's yeah. it. That's your job. Yeah. And don't fall over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we, don't, don't lock your knees, right? <laughs> don't faint. Please don't faint. Look at, you know, uh, but it's all about look at the groom, look at the bride. You are drawing attention to the fact they are coming. Yeah. That John the Baptist connection is really good. I want to probe yeah. that somewhere. That's, that's, that's helpful. Even that um, married picture of the, the, the children being the last to prepare the way, you know, laying the, the flowers uh-huh. down is, is a pretty cool picture of, um, you know, he says, unless you're like, you're like little children and now you get the kids going out first lane for the bride and the groom, this whole picture of marriage beautifully tied into who Jesus is and his love for his bride. And, and, and this is like him saying, Hey, go be John the Baptist. Just like go. I've set the stage, go first, herald me and then get out of the way. But don't, don't take authority. That's not yours. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, this is, this is good. Thanks for digging into this passage. Let's take one more break and then come back and write a sermon. And we're back for our last segment. I'm here with uh, Phil Tag, uh, and we are um, looking at Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through about 20. We jumped around a little bit. There's this kind of creepy part from 13 to 15, which we could include. It's important, these woes on some of the cities that are apparently maybe cities that were not receptive. But uh, it does kind of help to kind of see them come back. That's, I think, why we skipped it. But uh, yeah, so Luke uh, 1. Luke 10, 1 through 20. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, if you were, you know, we were just talking, we were going lots of different directions, exegetically, practically. Let's zoom in. Like if we wanted to begin to shape a bit of a sermon, maybe, I mean, and everyone's prep, everyone's process is different. Like when you get to this point where you've been chasing down a bunch of rabbit trails, what's it like for you as a preacher? Like, how do you kind of narrow down, you know, cause you can't talk about everything, right? You tend to have a focus. What, what, how's that usually emerge for you? Uh, yeah, I, I tend to be looking for the, the one unchanging truth that I want to unlock. Um, because the reality of so much of scripture is, um, and, and this, this is the beauty of scripture. You know, you could read verse one and that could be the verse that strikes yep. you. Yep. 20, 19 verses support it. You could, you could go, oh, verse two, oh, and the, yeah, so profound in how it, it supports itself. So, I would be looking for what is what is that one takeaway truth uh, that I want people, and I just start from there. And, and I, what in my sermon prep, I call it the hook. What's the hook? What's yeah. that? What's that profound statement that causes people to go, I thought this, but what about this? Oh, and and kind of uh, engage the passage, and so. That, that's probably where I would, I mean, if I were writing on this, make, trying to write a sermon on this versus a series would be well, um, yeah. difficult because the, con- the content is so, uh, so what would, I mean, where, if you but were You writing, could pitch it either way. You could think and, I mean, if it helps you to think series first and just think like, what would be that? Like, what's the hook? In terms of today, like, I mean, season in your congregation and your season in your life, what's hooking you today and where you might I run? Probably... I would probably write a series called the keys to the kingdom <laughs> and I'd play off the idea of not only the keys, like a parent giving the, the teenager, the keys to the car uh-huh. and giving you some authority and responsibility, but it's still my car. <laughs> yes. That side of it. 
but I would also play off it or what are the keys to actually being kingdom minded? Um, right. Okay. Then that double with key, right? That dual thought on keys. Like what are the keys? It, like it is pivotal to understand these are the, these are the kingdom minded things you must do, but these are the kingdom minded things you must not do. You cannot do what, what is, what are those critical things that, what are those keys to the kingdom? If you want to live a kingdom life, um, an apostolic kingdom life, what is it? Don't do this, but definitely do this. You don't have this authority, but you definitely have this authority. So take up the keys on the one hand and uh, get out of the driver's seat on the other. <laughs> oh, I like that. And actually, if we, we could just rattle off some of the keys, right? Prayer, right out of the gate. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. You're not the Lord of the harvest. Prayer starts there. Um, and this could be in a sermon or it could be a series, right? Prayer, dependence, humility or something you say next, right? And then either as a second point or, or as a third point or as part of that second point is that being a, just being a good guest, right? The, the, you know, yeah. Or know your place. Know your place. Nice. There it is, right? You know, know your place. Uh, you're not the, yeah. Uh, you know, you could even get into, you, you could do a, a message on authority, you know, mm-hmm. authority versus submission. You know, what, uh, one of the keys to the kingdom is submission, not, not taking authority that's not yours. So, yeah. Letting yeah. go, right? 10 through, uh, right? Yep. 10 through, you know, 11 or 12, just, and 16 as well, right? Learning how to, let go of a, a ministry you thought was going to work, right? That, like we need to, we need to teach. We, we spend a lot of time motivating as we should, but we also need to coach people how to, how to cope with the failure. If something that didn't work, you know? Um, when, I, when I write series, I like to, you know, if I'm working through a passage in particular, I like to go to the logical conclusion, uh, which okay. is usually one verse after the section break that they put in. So like, yes, you went on verse 21. Oh, yes. <laughs> filled with the joy of the Holy spirit. And he said, Oh father, Lord of heaven and earth. Thank you for hiding these things. Yes. Think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the child. Like, yes, father, please you to do it this way. Um, I'd probably start with that and like, what did he mean? Yeah. And work backwards from there. Why are some things, because uh, that plays right into the the idea of the kid with the the teen with the key, keys of the car, but it's not your car. Um, I'm I'm going to reveal this to like my kids, you know, like, hey, I'm trying to raise you up. I'm trying to give you responsibility, mm-hmm. but don't think you're more than you are. Like, if you start getting wise with me, son, <laughs> like, I'm going to put the smack down, you know. Uh, and so, like, I I probably I'd probably pitch this verse 21 as like, what is that? that's the overarching theme. What does that mean? And then unpack, um, you know, cause he says, I revealed you, you hid those things from those who think themselves walls and revealing them to the child. Like, uh, what things the keys. Right. The- yeah. That's nice. Talking about. And God, it pleases the father. It's got that language. Yeah. God reveals the keys to the kingdom to those who are humble enough to see him. He gives the authority and power to those who are humble enough to not take it for themselves. I mean, it's just like, it could be a super cool passage. Yeah, and 22 really actually helps support one of the sub-themes that we were discussing, right? All things have been handed to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, right? It's kind of like, I am doing the revealing. This is my call. I'm going to make this work, right? You know? I like it. 
Yeah, no, that's really cool. No, you're right. That'll often happen. There'll be this sweet verse, just one side. Someone pointed this out to me about Hebrews 11, uh, the by faith chapter, right? It does all the, but the, the word faith, the, the faith trigger comes from this quote from Habakkuk, which is at the end of chapter 10, yep. right? And then the very first verse of, of 12 is all about Jesus, right? As he's the one who carries this on. And you kind of, so sometimes the chapter breaks sometimes can throw off the, <laughs> maybe some keys to interpreting the whole passage. So one of the, as we've talked through the verse 21 and 22, one of the themes I'd probably pull out that just kind of just hit me like a ton of right now, because this whole passage is about discipleship. And a lot of times we treat discipleship as a how to, like, these are the things you should do. Ah, But uh, what struck me is uh, it, it seems to me that those who refuse to disciple are actually doing the most arrogant thing. And those who are willing to make disciples are actually doing the most humble thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an inversion. And yet, right? Yeah. Cause, cause the number one excuse you get for people not discipling is false humility. Oh yeah. Good. Well, that's actually the most arrogant thing you could do is to say, I can't tell people about Jesus. I can't point them to him. Well, why can't you? Why can't you? Yeah, just, just uh, where is it? Uh, there's only one instruction. No, there's three. There's just three little instructions of what to say, right? Yep. Verse five, say peace to this house. <laughs> so know how to greet people. Um, <laughs> and then uh, kingdom of God is now, is the kingdom of God has come near you, right? <laughs> just declare that. And if it doesn't go well, say, uh, you can keep your dust. <laughs> you know, like, I'll see you later. Right? So you need to know how to say hello, tell them the kingdom has come, and know how to say goodbye if they don't want to hear it. That's it. That's all you need, right? And if you need more than that, well, then uh, just take a cue from John 9 with the blind man who didn't then actually see Jesus because by the time he washed his hands, Jesus left. And when they asked, he says, I don't know if he's the Messiah or not to the Pharisees. He just says, I don't know who he is, Messiah, Son of God, whatever you guys are talking about. All I know is I was blind and now I see, right? Tell your story, right? Um, if, if you really met Jesus, you have the gospel to share. You know enough, you know? You tell people, you share your testimony, and you let the chips fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's it. That's, that's good. Well, there's, that's a three-point sermon. If people don't have time for, if our listeners don't have time for a whole series, but they've got an empty week, and they're trying to fill a gap. Preach it on that one, man. There's <laughs> just the simplicity and humility, the humility of authority, you could even call it, right? It would be a hook for me. Because we think of authority as a thing that you only can have if you're, that's arrogant or something. No, it's, it's, uh, no, the humility is to seize the authority that you do have, right? However small that is. Right. That's right. You make a friend, you share your story, keep your feet clean. <laughs> so simple <laughs> that's it so yeah well, thanks so much for taking time to to do this i learned a lot and had a great time chatting with you i hope it was a little bit of fun for you too it was fun and some stuff i mean this isn't some of this is just stuff the lord's revealing to us in this time together which is really really fun uh looking at a passage we've studied together both of us a lot and and finding new insights is pretty fun yeah that's that's my hope i mean i there's a lot of podcasts out there that are discussions, a lot of interviews, people plugging books, which is all great. I love it. Um, but part of what was fun here was the triangle of two people talking through a text and we're both 
just learning from the scripture, learning from each other. And it's not, that's what makes it fresh text is none of us, like neither of us, like had this all pre-cooked, you know, we were, and I, people, I mean, I think pastors appreciate uh, hearing different people's process and hearing insights and, and everyone who's listening in, whether the pastor who preaches or not, it's fun to look behind the curtain and just watch the process, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I don't know, I learned a lot too. I, I, this is not a text I've spent a lot of time with. I've spent a little, but yeah. um, I, I've might have spent more time in the Matthew one. So actually tracking Luke's subtle yeah. difference was really nice. And, and I, I just love hearing your heart and hearing you connected up with lived ministry. That was super fun, man. So thank you. Uh, certainly I have an apostolic bent, so. <laughs> I picked the right text. <laughs> well, you picked the right text, but also... <laughs> There's a lot of texts I read apostolic. People are like, I never saw that before. <laughs> right. Well, maybe we'll have you on again sometime, and you'll uh, you'll school me apostolically with something less less obviously. So, <laughs> hey, man. Well, even though this isn't like a interview uh, press junket, if you got anything to plug, this will drop in July. If there's anything you want to announce, got books coming out, or you're speaking or doing anything you want to hearers to know about, go ahead and say it now. The only thing that I would. Um, that I would plug is our program called Awaken, uh, which is something that not only are we offering out of the Ransom Church, but we're trying to we're trying to give it as a gift to districts and and just whoever. Uh, we've just put together a program designed. Uh, it's got two parts to it: a two-year postgraduate residency type thing for for students. Uh, we've got a lot of Indiana Wesleyan students in that uh, now, but also um, it's got a one-year church planner training program. Um, and uh, we're working with several districts right now to, you know, if you finish the program at the end of it, you will be get, you'll be uh, credentialed within that district. Um, so you can take a person who's a marketplace leader who has no training and take them through some basic theological and a whole lot of practical. Um, and at the end of that one year, they could plant a church within a network. They could, uh, we have uh, one, uh, you know, one story come out of our, our group is a, uh, group of lay people who live 45 miles from here in a small town in Iowa who feel burdened for their community and start getting this dream that the lead, the person who's going to be the lead, she starts dreaming about this little white church. I approach her about a call to ministry. She, she responds, long story short, uh, a little white congregational church is closing down, closed down, approached her, huh. the building, this, the lay people raised the majority of the money and we're about to launch a church there with a leader that we're training in this Awaken program. And the church is completely led by lay people. That sounds like a worthy house and a person of peace, right? Um, it was exactly that. And, yeah. And, and now that has sparked, they're going to be the biggest church in that town in six months. Yeah. Sparked such a uh, huge movement that uh, a couple from, an, that goes to our church from 45 miles, another direction in Minnesota it's feeling called and they're looking at going to the rock rapids plant to be part of it. And then they're going to go plant in their community uh, as well and, and bring the gospel back there. And so awakens a program that allows to both the ordained pastor to get uh, training for church planning, but also right alongside him or her, the marketplace leader uh, to come in and go, I don't have the training, but can I get some basic uh, yeah. private is uh, we're not training on this level. We're not training um, surgeons. We're training field medics. Uh-huh. Right. And so we want to get people enough experience and then continue to educate them while they're launching churches and, and in their own communities. And so um, if if I would just say to district superintendents, to, to pastors, to people who are thinking about church planting, if you need training and you can give us nine to 12 months of your life, we can we can 
uh, tailor the training to you in a way that's going to be incredible. And it's actually not a program that you pay for. It's a program we, we pay you a stipend uh, to be a that's part great. of it. So there's the cost is the risk that you take, you know, moving right. and getting involved for, and, and taking a year and figuring it out how to make it for a year while you get the preparation you need to get on the ground plan. So, yeah, that's great. So it's called Awaken. People can find that at Ransom Church website. Church.org. Okay. Or you can just go to ransom.church and, and, and you can find links from there. Okay. So Awaken, you said Awaken Church? Awakenthechurch.org. Awakenthechurch.org. I just want to make sure that was clear on the <laughs> audio. So awesome. Thank you so much, Phil, for your time and for sharing about that. And I'll just say right now as we close out to thanks uh, to all our listeners for listening in. And uh, giving some uh, time and attention and uh, excitement. We appreciate all your support. And thanks to Eric Fisher for his uh, great production work and to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And we'll say to you all, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.